0: Welcome to the Parkway Fellowship Podcast. We hope that God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Mike McGowan. Today we're also beginning a brand new series called The Christian Atheist. Now, let me tell you how we arrived at that title, okay? Have you ever heard the old adage, pray as if everything depends on God, but work like everything depends on you? Yeah. Yeah. I, and there's, you know, there's a part of that that's true because you know, when I pray, I'm not supposed to just you know, sit on my hands and do nothing. You know, it'd be like if I prayed to God and said, hey God, you know, help me lose weight, but then like, I don't change my diet and I don't exercise, okay? Well, God is not going to just miraculously change my pant size, okay? Well, I mean he might, but it would, it would you know, go the other way. Um, but The problem with this whole attitude and this whole adage of, you know, pray as if everything depends on God and, you know, work like everything depends on me. The problem with that is that it creates in us a dependence on ourselves and not on God. It's like I'm supposed to pray, but then not expect God to do anything. It's like I pray but I pretend like nothing is gonna happen. And I pretend like God doesn't exist and that he's not there. Well, you know what, if that's the, if that's the case, then what's the difference between that and an atheist, except for the prayer at the beginning? Well, nothing. Now, here's the deal. I, I don't think anybody listening today is a full-on atheist. Okay, I, I, I definitely don't think that. But here's the deal, if we're not careful we can find ourselves working so hard to make something happen, and then we just, you know, sprinkling a little prayer on top, you know, hoping that somehow that that helps. So there's there's this part of us that believes, but then there's this other part of us that feels like it's all up to us. So you know, we we are Christian, but yet there's a part of me. That behaves like God is not there, like an atheist, and hence the term Christian atheist. Now, there's a book called The Christian Atheist, okay? It's written by a guy named Craig Rochelle, and it's a fabulous book, and I highly, highly recommend it. And, uh, Now, this series is not based on this book. We wrote the content of this series before we even looked at this book, but we did get permission to use the title, and we did get permission to use the artwork, um, but the series is not actually based on this book. Now, there's a couple of topics in the series that actually are mentioned in this book, but the content is different. Look, I think what I'm saying is like, we didn't just jack the book and make a series out of it, okay? I think that's what I'm trying to tell you. But look, read the book. It's really good, and there's a whole bunch of stuff in here that we're not going to cover in this series, okay? So um, check out the book. Um, I highly recommend it. And that, all that brings us to our message today of when I believe in God, but I make my own decisions. And this is really, really easy to do. Easy trap to fall into. Let me give you an example As many of you know, I used to be a youth pastor, and uh, when I accepted a promotion, it was my job to find my replacement to be the new youth pastor. Well, when I left and took that promotion, our youth group was running like between 400 and 450 people just in the youth group alone, and so there was like a lot of pressure to hurry up and find a replacement. Um, Well, I found a guy who, Like, it's going to be awesome. I mean, everywhere he'd ever been, all the youth groups had grown. All of them. And so, you know, he felt good about it, and I felt good about it. And, I mean, everything just, you know, seemed to, you know, fit in really well. And, you know, so we made the decision. He became the new youth pastor. Now, look, I mean, I prayed about it. I mean, hello. Like, I know better than that. You know, pastor. Like, I get it. All right? But, get this. It was a disaster Almost from the very beginning. And I'm not going to tell you, I'm bore you with all the details, but in less than a year, the youth group went from over 400 to less than 150 people. And teenagers stopped serving in our church. They stopped inviting their friends to come to church. Teenagers stopped becoming Christ followers. I'm telling you, like it, it was a train wreck from the get go. And You know, looking back on it, (laughs) I have to be honest, like I never, I never stopped long enough to hear from the Lord that, yes, this is the guy. I mean, the decision just made a lot of sense. So sprinkle a little prayer on top and just forged right ahead with the decision. And that's what it's like when we believe in God, but yet we make our own decisions. And look, I learned a lot from that experience. Here's the first thing I learned, and this is your feeling. Write this down. I learned that when it comes to decisions, the bigger the decision, the more important God's direction. The bigger the decision, the more important God's direction. Now look, that doesn't mean that God doesn't want to be involved in small decisions, okay, he, he does, but you know, at some point in time, you got to draw the line, I mean, look, God does not care whether you wear blue socks or black socks today, okay, that doesn't matter, so you're like, oh Lord, show me your will, blue or black, and God says, no, brown, I mean, come on, I mean, at some point in time, it gets ridiculous, but God cares about all the decisions, so how do I know if it's a decision big enough to pray about, well, here it is, at what point Does it matter that I get God's direction? It matters that when I think about the consequences, that's when I should ask God about the decision. When I think about the consequences, that's when I should ask God about the decision. So look, if the decision is big enough where you actually think, and you actually think, I wonder what would happen if I did this. If that thought ever passes through your head, then that's a decision where you should ask God. And the bigger the decision, the more important God's direction. Look, it is, it is so easy just to leave God out of decisions. Because the truth is, let's admit it. Most of us are pretty comfortable making decisions all on our own, aren't we? Yeah. Now, sometimes we'll pray. But here's the deal. Like, if we don't get an answer pretty quick... We just forge on ahead with whatever we think is right, whatever feels the best to us. So we believe in God, but we're making decisions on our own. We make decisions like a Christian atheist. That's what we're saying. But the problem is is that there are some decisions that carry with them some enormous consequences. You're like, like, who do I marry? Who do I marry? date, which by the way is really important because who I marry is always someone that I eventually date, right? So, who, am I having, who do I have a relationship with? You know, do, do I start a business? Do I go back and get a degree? Do we move so that we can make sure that we go to that school? Or do we do private school? Or do we do homeschool? You know, do we just let our kids be stupid? I mean, like, what do we do, God, Right? But so we need God to give us direction, and the more important the decision, the more important God's direction. Okay, now look, before I go any farther, if you're here today and you came to church because you really doubt that God even exists, you may or may not be an atheist, but you doubt God's existence and you just came to church today because you just wanted to see, this is the perfect series for you because during this series, you're going to see how real God is in the day-to-day comings and goings of life. So this is the perfect series for you to come. So stay with us for the rest of, for the entire series, because I'm telling you, it's going to be amazing. So now, the passage of scripture we're going to look at today gives us some insight into how God wants us to make decisions. And like most people, the people in this passage, they had to learn things the hard way, right? And so, the consequences of the decision that they made, they still affect us today. So go ahead, and um, let me catch you up what's going on before we actually get into this passage of scripture, okay? Here's here's what's happening. Um, Abram and Sarai are two people who've been married for a long time, but they can't have kids. Even though they've prayed for children their entire married lives. And at this stage in the game, Abram is 75 years old, and Sarai is 65. Well, God comes to them and says, now you are going to have a child. Now, if I was them, I'm not sure whether I'd be excited or whether I'd be panicked, right? But they were really excited, okay? They, they were thrilled at this, what was gonna happen, okay? But get this, okay? Nothing happens for 10 years. Like nothing. Nothing happens for 10 years. And I'm sure that they were at the point where thinking, okay, you know, hey God, I'm 85, she's 75. We're wasting some really good years here, okay? I mean, we're we're way past where we ought to be to be you know, like raising kids. And listen, if you got to that point after 10 years, God made a promise to you that you're gonna have a child, and now that you're, you know that old? Do you think you doubt a little bit? I mean, do you think that you might ask yourself, you know what, am I missing something here? Do you think that there might be the temptation to take matters in your own, own hands and find your own solution? Well, yeah, of course there would. And that's exactly what they did. And on this one tragic day, they made a decision that would affect them and literally still our lives today, because they made a decision like a Christian atheist. Look what happens. Genesis 16 verse one says this. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children, so go, sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Okay, now pause for just a second, okay? I know. Like this is highly irregular, right? But the truth is it really wasn't that uncommon in their culture because here's the deal. Hagar was a slave. Now, you can't look at it through the eyes of the Civil War because slavery wasn't like that. People weren't treated like that in their culture, okay? But she was considered, she was considered the property of Abram and Sarai, so whatever she produced was not hers but actually theirs. So, if she had a child by Abram, then Hagar would simply be considered the surrogate, but the child would actually belong to Abram and Sarai. And that wasn't terribly uncommon in their culture, especially if some of a couple had infertility issues, okay? So, here's, here's what happens. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. I want you to circle the two words Abram agreed. That's very important. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. Okay, now, I want you to notice two things here. First, as far as we know, Sarai doesn't pray and ask God if this is what he wants her to do. There's nowhere in the text where it says that she asked God if this is the right decision. Now, the second thing I want you to notice is that we know for sure that Abram didn't pray, because they were just having a conversation, and the Bible says that Abram agreed. That's the part that I had you circle. okay? So probably neither one of them prays about it, okay? They talk about it together, they make a decision together, you know, and then they just do it. Sorry, poor church reports. Then they just move forward with their plans, okay? That, they, just, they just go ahead with their plans, right? That, and, that, and that's what they did, okay? So anyway, anyway, so once they realize that Hagar is prego, okay, Sarai begins to despise Hagar because Hagar is getting to have a baby, and Hagar despises Sarai because she knows that Sarai is going to take her, her son, So I'm sure that this was an incredibly wonderful tent to go home to every day for Abram, right? I mean, can you imagine? I mean, I think most of us could have seen that one coming. Well, anyway, so they're really at odds with each other. And so Hagar decides that she's gonna run away. And she does. Well, an angel of the Lord comes to her and tells her to go back to Abram and Sarai. And what the angel says to her about the son that's about to be born is really incredible. So look what the Bible says, and this is the angel talking. Verse 11 says, The angel of the Lord also said to her, this is to Hagar, You are now with child, and you will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. Now, Do you know who the modern-day descendants of Ishmael are? It's the Arabs. Every Arab living in the Middle East, in Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq, Syria, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, all of them, all of them trace their lineage back to Ishmael. And get this, the religion of Islam also traces its lineage back to Ishmael because Muhammad, the founder of Islam, is a direct descendant of Ishmael. Now, I want you to look at what we just read about what the descendants of Ishmael are going to be like. Okay, look at it. It's in verse 12. It says this. It says, His hand, that the, the descendants, his hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. Now, does that sound a lot like the Middle Eastern and Islamic world? And by the way, do you know who the brother of Ishmael was? You see, get this, 13 years later, after Ishmael is born, Abram and Sarah actually do have a child of their own named Isaac. Isaac becomes the father of the Jews. And the last I checked, the Arabs and the Jews don't get along. So, like, how true is all of this, right? I mean, that's, that's amazing. So I want you to think about this. Islamic terrorist attacks, hostility, bomb threats, ISIS, Hamas, 9-11, Benghazi, Saddam Hussein, Operation Desert Storm, IEDs, all of these things could have been avoided. All of them could have been avoided had Sarai and Abram not made their own decision but had stopped and asked God what he wanted them to do. A few weeks ago, Amy and I were having dinner with a couple of friends of ours and they were, they were facing a really big decision and they, they just, they, they wanted our insight, they wanted our guidance, they wanted our advice and they wanted us to pray for them. Because, and we were at dinner, they said this, they said, because we don't want to make a Hagar decision. And as soon as they said that, I mean, I knew exactly what they were talking about. I just never heard it called that before. And so I thought about that man, a Hagar decision. So, what are the characteristics of a Hagar decision? Looking at this passage, a Hagar decision has three characteristics okay the first characteristic is this is that it's unprayed a Hagar decision is unprayed just like Abram and Sarai a Hagar decision is not prayed about now look let me clarify this you need to hear this okay you can say a little prayer but if you're not really waiting on God for the answer you're not really praying to God you're just mentioning it to God Because you have every intent of doing whatever it is that you feel like you ought to do. Then you're just sprinkling a little prayer on top and hoping God will stop you if it's something wrong. That's it. So look, when you've got a decision to make, truly ask God to lead you. And be open to whatever it is he's wanting you to do. Because it might not be what you think. It might be, but it might not be, and sometimes that's the real test. Is you say, "Okay, God, I'm just I'm open to whatever it is that you want to do," and so pray about it with that kind of an attitude. All right. Second part of a Hagar decision is this: is that it's impatient. It's impatient. Now, here's the deal. You and I, we wouldn't even describe Abram and Sarai as impatient. I mean, look, they waited 10 years before they even made a Hagar decision. And then it wasn't for another 13 years that Sarai actually got pregnant. And so, look, when their son Isaac was born, get this, Abram was 99 years old and Sarai had just turned 90, Yeah. So we wouldn't call them impatient. But God would. God would. Because see, part of the Lord's plan for them was to be so far past childbearing years that it would be so obvious that this child was a miracle and could only have been brought about by God's hand. And yeah, like we might think, well, that's pretty miraculous. She got pregnant at 65 or at 75 but it's not near the miracle as if she has a baby when she's 90. It's so obvious then that it had to be God's hand. And that was God's point and purpose all along. So look, when it comes to making decisions, you and I, we've got to wait on God. But the point is, that's really hard to do because most of the time, God has his timetable and we have ours, right? And the thing that I've learned and, mo- uh, and I've found is that my timetable and God's timetable are rarely the same. Like most of the time, my timetable is like a Keurig. Like I want to push the button and get out what I want, right? But God's timetable is often like a, by comparison, like a 24 hour cold brew. Like it just takes forever, right? That's what it feels like. So here's what I've learned about decisions, okay? This is your next film. Write this down. That God led decisions almost always take longer than I want but never longer than he wants they almost always take longer than what I want but they never take longer than what he wants so look when you got a decision to make I think my question is this are you willing to wait on God or are you committed just taking matters into your own hands and making a decision because you just feel like a decision has got to be made Okay, last characteristic of a hair decision is that it's just simply my opinion. It's just my opinion. Look, Sarai gave her opinion about what she thought they ought to do. Abraham agreed because he shared the same opinion. So look, when we're not praying about it and when we're impatient, it is so easy to just go with our opinion, right? Now, the flip side of that is, is that God has also given us Wisdom, and he wants us to use wisdom to make a decision. So then the question for us becomes, okay, how do I know if I'm just acting on my own opinion or if I'm actually using godly wisdom? How do do I know when I'm making a decision? Well, the answer to that actually lies in the first two characteristics of a Hagar decision, okay? If I am praying about it, and I'm really open to what God's wanting to do, and I am patient and waiting on God, If if I'm really doing those two things, then the decision is not gonna be my opinion. It's gonna be rooted in godly wisdom. And that godly wisdom might might come from something that you read in the Bible. It might come from someone that you meet in your small group who's been through the exact same experience that you've been through and say, hey, here's what happened to me, here's how it turned out. So God can use anything to impart to you godly wisdom. But you need to be committed to making sure that you're praying about it and that you're not impatient so that you don't fall into the trap of my opinion. Does that make sense? Okay. So what are the benefits of a God-led decision? Let me give them to you, I'll, I'll be brief. The first is this, is that I have great confidence regardless of the outcome. Oh, I've got great confidence regards the outcome. So here's the thing. Even if things don't turn out like you think they will, they've turned out exactly like God thinks they will. And look, and if you have prayed about it, you've been waiting on God and you're open and doing whatever he wants, then even if it doesn't turn out like you want, you can have great confidence that it's turned out exactly like he wants. And that's okay. Because it was a God-led decision. All right. So you have great comments. Second characteristic is this, or benefit is this, is that it sets in motion a chain of events that I cannot possibly foresee. You see, when God finally blessed Abram and Sarah with their own son, Isaac, when when Isaac was born, that set in motion a chain of events that Abram and Sarah could not possibly foresee. It set in motion a chain of events that would bring about the birth of the Jewish nation it brought about the birth of Jesus Christ the son of God and it brought about the the salvation of all mankind how in the world could abram and sarah have possibly foreseen that they couldn't there's no way And so for you, when you make God-led decisions, it has the potential to set in motion a chain of events that you cannot possibly foresee. You have no idea how that's going to affect your kids. You have no idea how it's going to affect your grandkids or how many generations down the line it's going to affect your family or other people around you. You have no idea, but I can promise you this. God-led decisions always set in motion a chain of events that you and I cannot possibly foresee, but perfectly aligned to his will. That's the benefit of a God-led decision. All right, third benefit is this, is that my faith strengthens. My faith strengthens. See, the the more you see the results of a God-led decision, the more it strengthens your faith because you see God at work. And when you see God at work out of the decisions that you've made, then it becomes easier for you to turn over another part of your life to God God's control, and then another part, and then another part, and another part, and another part, and it strengthens your faith. See, that's how it works. Now, all of this, all of this is predicated on one key thing. It's predicated on a relationship with God. And a relationship with God for every single person starts with one God-led decision. And that is to choose to become a Christ follower. See, when you choose to become a Christian, when you take that step of faith and say, Jesus, come into my life to forgive me, that's what makes you a Christ follower. When you ask him to forgive you, that puts you in a right relationship with him, where you now can obey him and serve him and put him in control of your life and put him in control of more and more of your life as you go. That's growing to maturity as a Christ follower. But it all starts with that initial decision to become a Christ follower. Have you decided to do that? Have you made that initial decision? If you haven't, there's a prayer, it's in your message notes. I want you to take a moment. I want you to pray that prayer right now and take that first step to become a Christ follower. But for all of us, look, if we want to live God-led lives, we have to make the decision that we're gonna let God have control of our decisions. Don't make Hagar decisions in your life. Don't make them. Make God led decisions. Don't make decisions like a Christian atheist where you know you sprinkle a little prayer on top and hope for the best, but work like it all depends on you. Don't make decisions like that. Those are almost always Hagar decisions. Make God led decisions where you're waiting on Him and seeking His face and following his lead, and using the godly wisdom he gives you. And make sure you come here next week, because next week we're going to talk about how to make prayer a a part of your strategic strategy of life, and not just use it as a a last-ditch resort. It's going to be great. So, everybody, bow your head, close your eyes, let me pray for us all. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for just how clearly you put all this for us, And Lord, I ask that you would help every person listening to me to make a firm commitment not to make Hagar decisions any longer. And that no matter what other Hagar decisions have been made in the past, God, I ask that you would uh, redirect the course so that from now on it will be God-led decisions that lead them and guide them through life. And I pray that for me too. And I pray that you would do all of this in our lives. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more.